on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. It helped me, you know, as a, like a hard-charging New Yorker and a CEO, it helped me to, to have a little bit more patience and more space. It really helped me to gain clarity around not only decisions in the business world, but also in my personal life. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver, and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world, and we always will be. So with this show, I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together, let's ask the world's biggest questions, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Coined the Peloton of Meditation by TechCrunch, today's guest is bringing a 5,000-year-old practice to the modern age by building the world's largest, most supportive meditation community, both online and off. Launched in 2015, this startup has rapidly grown its corporate programs in 20 major U.S. cities with clients such as Facebook, Disney, Nike, and GitHub, reducing their stress by 20%, increasing their productivity by 10 and improving 100% of employees' overall moods. This multiple-time founder has had 10-plus years of experience building successful businesses, including Ultram Honors, which had $20 million in annual revenue and 33% global market share. However, after all the hard charging in New York City, he had his life personally changed by meditation and a book called Buddhism for Busy People. He lost 80 pounds, became calmer, understood himself more, and became more forgiving by not mentally beating up on himself. Since then, he has wanted to help all people live happier, healthier, and less stressed lives. Fulfilling on that mission, he has launched Journey Live, the world's only group meditation app with live instructors and real-time classes bringing the meditation studio and community to wherever you are. From Navy veterans to corporate lawyers and moms to four-time Emmy winners, there is a teacher for every walk of life. With 422 five-star ratings in the Apple iTunes store, and raising $2.4 million in a seed round, this founder has been featured in TechCrunch, Psychology Today, New York Business Journal, and numerous entrepreneur and wellness podcasts. I'm honored to welcome founder and CEO of Journey Meditation, three-time founder, and a lifelong entrepreneur who even had his mom taking snow removal orders as a kid, Stephen Sokoler. Well, let's go ahead and dive into it. Have you always wanted to start your own business? I mean, as a kid in Queens, you were running a snow removal hustle, hiring other kids on the block. Has this always been something that you wanted to do? I played a lot of sports. I was super active in that. But I think there was this idea of making money. Like I wanted all things, Nintendo games. I mean, this was the 80s and and other things like that. And there was just the idea of like creating different things. So you mentioned the snow removal business. It was like we were shoveling snow. I was shoveling snow and, you know, could only do so many houses. And then it was like, oh, okay, what if we can get other people to help? Okay, what if we can, you know, pass out flyers to all the houses and they'll call home and my mom will take the order and then we can send out people. So it was, you know, that was kind of the genesis of it. Yeah. So you spent 12 years in corporate as a successful CEO why did you sell those companies and then want to jump into a brand new startup? I spent 12 years doing one thing, which was great. It had many different versions. So actually, the first five years, I wasn't the CEO of the company. I started out working at a company, running a division, then purchased that division, and then went through a bunch of other chapters. And uh, by the time 2014 rolled around, it had been time, you know, like... It was great for what it was. I felt like we achieved a lot. Many of the people that I worked with there, I'm still really close friends with. And it was time for something new. Mm. 
Well, you discovered meditation um, while taking some time and space from, you know, that, that career that you had in Sydney. How do you think this time helped you to gain clarity and inspire the idea for your startup? I had no idea what I wanted to do next, which was very uh, concerning for my mother at the time. <laughs> but I found, I got referred to this woman, Sasha Grishman, who uh, runs a firm called Talent Mosaic. And she helps people who are trying to figure out what they want to do, figure out what they want to do. Mm. And so for me, we did all these different exercises on looking at my life in the past, thinking about my life in the future. And I got pretty clear on what I was looking for. And from there, there were still like a number of things that could have fit into that category. But I recognized I wanted to build something meaningful. I wanted to build something valuable. I wanted to do something that really made a difference. Like, I feel like life is so short. And so if I'm if I'm on this planet in this body, I may as well make something happen. And so uh, that helped a little bit. And I thought there was there was a big opportunity in meditation to both help people and build a big business. And so that was the that was how the how the project was born. Well, why is this like having time for that space and that clarity so important for founders? And maybe is there some of those exercises that you could share for founders to help do this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important for all people. Obviously, founders are under unique, you know, stress that is unique to founders, right? Just like mothers are under stress that is right. unique to mothers and you know, et cetera. But I would say for founders, we have a, a lot of responsibility. You know, there's on any given day, I would say dozens, if not hundreds of decisions that are made. Almost all of the most important decisions go to the founder. And oftentimes you don't have a, a community of other people that you can share that that stress with. And so, you know, for, for all of those reasons and many more, having self-care practices are very important. So whether that's meditation, whether that's journaling, whether that's therapy individually or, or in a group. I think those those are sort of the essential tools for navigating in today's world. In your past companies, the focus was a lot around the celebration of like employees and rewarding them and like happiness in the workplace. Did you find any unhappiness in yourself from the corporate world or do you feel like you had a pretty good time in that world? I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was very fortunate. I felt like I found something that I could sink my teeth into and really challenge me on an intellectual level, like how to grow and build this business. And I felt like it was important work. I would say that's definitely magnified by the work that we do here at Journey. Like it feels so much more important, especially given the times, right? Like we're we're certainly living in really unique unprecedented times. And so I, I, I feel like since since the start of my pro- professional career, doing something that mattered made a difference you know, in the world was something that I prioritized over some other things. For example, money. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just one example. What was it about uh, meditation that like personally changed it for you and you started getting more in touch with yourself? Well, actually, it's funny. I have a book that I started reading right here. My girlfriend was asking oh, uh, me about it. So I, I dug it out of the bookshelf. It's this, this particular book, as you mentioned, Buddhism for Busy People, tells the story of a guy who has a family and works. I think he was in advertising, and he finds Buddhism, and it really helped him to find a deeper happiness. Uh, for me, I found that meditation helped me to calm down a bit. It helped me, you know, as a, like a hard charging New Yorker and a CEO. It helped me to. to a little bit more patience and more space. It really helped me to gain 
clarity around not only decisions, well, decisions I was making, but not really so much in the business world, although there as well, but also in my personal life, getting really clear on what mattered to me, what my values were and where I was acting out of alignment with my values. So that that was all super helpful. And Buddhism in particular, which we don't teach a journey, that's that's not what we do. Everything we teach is totally secular. And there's also lots of great places to go and learn Buddhism. But for me personally, like it was the philosophy that really resonated. You know, Buddhism is considered a religion, but like for me, it wasn't about believing something, which is different than I grew up Jewish. You know, you had to believe X and Y and Z. This wasn't that. This was there is suffering and there's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it just felt very very much like a handbook for a living life. So why are you so passionate about bringing this to other people with journey now? Well, you know, I think if there's something very human around, if something helps you, you want to share it. You want to share it with people you care about and people you love. And so for me, it's both of these, these things are true, which is I want to build a big business. That's fun. That's challenging. It's exciting. And I want to help people. And when I was trying to figure out what to do next, I looked at three different things. So obviously we know where the story ends, right? <laughs> right. With meditation or begins. Uh, but I also looked at weight loss. As you mentioned, I lost 85 pounds. And so I was like, oh, maybe there's an opportunity to do something there. Uh, and the other thing I looked at was life coaching. It's like, why is there no McKinsey of life coaching? Why is there no gold standard? And so I explored all three of those before ultimately deciding on meditation. And I just thought, there was a real opportunity. I thought meditation was and still is, even five years later, pretty misunderstood as religious, difficult, spiritual, confusing. You know, I can't tell you how many times a day I hear people say, uh, oh, I can't meditate because it's thought of as something else. And so, you know, I think I think there's still a lot of work to be done there to be able to uh, bring it to people in a way that really meets them where they are. How did you balance the decision uh, between going between those markets? Was it more of a looking at the logistics of it or the more of the meaningful side or some combination of the two? I'd, I'd say some combination. You know, I think, I think it was originally the, the business part has to be sustainable, right? right? Like I didn't want to run a nonprofit. There's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't for me. I wanted to build a business. And when I looked at weight loss, obviously, as we know, there's lots of companies that are doing that work some better than others. And with life coaching, I found it to be a a very murky space. Like there's no accreditation. Anyone could just pop up and say they're a life coach. And so I felt, I mean, there is some accreditation, but most people don't know it. And it's, it's, it's not like being a lawyer or a doctor where it's, it's, it's more prominent and and, and enforced by law. So it, it felt like that would be a really uphill battle and when I looked at meditation, I thought there was a real opportunity. I, I, I said to myself, like, where would my brother go? My brother works at a hedge fund. Mom go. My mom's a school teacher in Queens. Like, where would they go? It's not going to be through Buddhism. It's not going to be picking up a book like I did. What would be a way to meet them where they are? And I thought, let's create that company. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit uh, about kind of the logistics of Journey. You started with the corporate programs first and, you know, with your history, that was obviously a successful avenue to go down first. But why launch the app and go to consumers now? Good question. So we have done really well with corporations and that work is very, very important. You know, our clients, you mentioned, you mentioned a bunch of them, but they really range from charter schools to nonprofits, the hospitals, the big companies. And we felt like that was a really good place to start. 
And I believe there's an even bigger opportunity to be able to help people by allowing them to find these tools themselves, right? And so uh, unlocking it and really democratizing these practices for people. And I didn't want it to sit uh, where only people could get it if their company signed up for it. So that was sort of the, that was the like nice reason to do it. And then of course, the other side, the business reason, I think that the space will look very similar to physical fitness where think five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, yes, there'll be companies that have on-site, excuse me, on-site meditation rooms, the same way there's companies that have, you know, on-site gyms. There will be companies that pay for reimbursements to meditation products, the same way there's companies that pay for, you know, reimbursements to gym memberships. But ultimately, I believe the bulk of the spend is going to come from consumers spending directly. It's the same way in physical fitness, you or I might have, you know, a class pass or an Equinox membership. And so I thought the that's how the space would evolve. And therefore, it made sense to have the consumer product. Mm. Well, with over like thousands of other meditation apps, you know, ready for download at any minute, how has the aspect of having it live really set you guys apart? Yeah, I mean, you you, you touched on it, right? There's so many products. There's so many. The way I describe the space is it's very busy and crowded, but still immature. And by that, I mean, there's lots of competitors, lots of products, lots of great products, but it's still very early. Like the, the market's only been around when it comes to digital apps, you know, five years, 10 years. Right. So still it will, it will evolve quite a bit. For us, live is a huge differentiator. You know, nothing really beats face to face. But of course, if you can't have that, whether for COVID or any other reason, you know, having somebody say, hey, Brandon, three days in a row, keep up the great work. Jonathan, first class, welcome. Mary, so nice to have you here. You know, you feel connected. You can see the teacher. There's more uh, cues because it's visual. And then you have a supportive community. So, you know, you might ask a question and somebody might say, ah, you know, I really appreciate you asking that. I was feeling the same thing or I went through this or, you know, you might hear someone ask a question and think to yourself, hmm, that's actually a good point. I, I, I wasn't really experiencing that, but that really helps me to understand a different perspective. So it's a much different experience than simply listening to a recording, you know, by yourself. And it also allows us to, to talk about what's going on in the world, right? There's so much fear and remains so much fear with COVID, that everything's happening and now we're reopening and what's going to happen there. And now everything that's happening on the social front, you know, with George Floyd and, you know, white supremacy and, and on and on, right? And now we can see how this story continues to evolve. And so the way people are feeling about it is... There's a whole host of emotions. Now we have this whole thing with the Confederate flag, what's happening there, what does that mean to different people, and on and on. So I think being able to have a live experience is just much different than just a, a recording that you're doing by yourself. How do you create the like same emotional and visceral experience of being in a group that you would have physically? Uh, online because I think with these situations like COVID and especially like remote work and stuff like that it's brought the question of like quality online interactions so how do you uh, promote that? Well it's really important for us to create a safe space and so making sure that the conversation is really healthy and clean and productive we haven't had actually any issues with that so we've been fortunate and part of that I think is we're attracting a certain type of person right like the person that might be on some late night reddit group about god knows what is probably not the person who's downloading and engaging with journey live so we're, we're fortunate in, in that regard but you know for us it's 
there, there's a couple things that we've done strategically with the product itself. So you can see the teacher, but they can't see you. So you don't have to worry about having your video on. That's that's one. Uh, two is you have the first name and the last initial. We originally had you know first name, last name, but that doesn't work for certain reasons. First name on its own is hard because then you have four Jennifers in a class. And is that the same Jennifer? Is that not the same Jennifer? Right. We had a story the other day that I heard this week where uh, one student went and started a GoFundMe campaign for another student. And keep in mind, they've never met in real life. They've never seen each other unless they've, they've organized, you know, off platform, but through journey at least. And people are saying, I never felt so connected to people. And Mm -hmm. they're saying, I've never felt so connected to people, let alone the fact that we haven't even met yet. Right. So there, there is something really powerful. And I think part of that has a lot less to do with us and a lot more to do with meditation as a practice. Mm. It creates that container for people to share really authentically and vulnerably. And the teachers, I should, shouldn't take anything away from teachers or I should know, like we have really skilled teachers who have been doing this for many, many, many years and know how to facilitate those conversations. Yeah. I mean, you've personally done like retreats and been part of communities like men's group and stuff. Why are these communities so supportive of that and so important for people to be a part of? Well, I think we used to live for thousands of years in communities, in villages, in tribes. And now we live these great lives where we move out of home, you know, from our parents when we're 18. And then we're relying on, you know, big business and government and our employers, the same things that our families used to provide. You know, it used to be you need to fix something. You have your family and your friends there to help you. Now it's you have to get a loan and then you have to hire someone. And and so we didn't evolve to live these very individual isolated lives. That's actually one of the biggest concerns I have about Corona is uh, in in addition to obviously the, the virus itself is people are spending a lot of time alone and isolated. And studies have shown how, how dangerous you know, and how detrimental loneliness is to the human body and the human condition. So anyway, um, I think having the support of a group, whether that's a men's group, a therapist, a group of friends, family, is really essential for, you know, the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, one of the worst punishments that we do to people like in prisons and whatnot is seclude them to their selves. And I, I definitely agree that we grew up as a civilization in tribes had that support and in modern times haven't been able to have that. We've segregated away so much. And I think that is a a core of a lot of problems now. I agree. You're a pretty firm believer in the humane tech movement and their mission to promote ethical technology. You guys kind of opted away from like notifications or gamification kind of like calm or headspace or some of the other apps might do to bring you back in. How do you balance creating tech that is engaging, but also enhances the human experience? Well, I think one of the one of the things is the core experience when you come into Journey is it welcomes you and it shows you classes that you've opted into, right? So we do use push notifications, but we use them only when you opt in for a particular class, i.e., hey, you signed up for this 6 p.m. class, the 6 p.m. class is started, right? That's, I think, a little bit different than you're getting, you know, five or 10 notifications about, you know, X or Y or Z. For us though, it's the core experience that has to feel humane. It has to feel real. It has to feel warm. Like I'm sure you've had, you know, we've all kind of had one of those experiences, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or a shopping site where you go down a rabbit hole and next thing you know, you've spent far longer than you ever expected on that. And you're like, you feel kind of shitty about it. And that's a really different thing than 
you're going here and you're seeing a teacher and they're welcoming you and you're with other people, right? And so it's using the product. Like a phone is what? Glass and metal and a bunch of things. There's nothing bad about the phone. There's nothing good about it. It's like fire, right? It could be detrimental or it could allow us to cook food. Same kind of thing. So it's not the phone. It's the it's the way we're using it. And so we want to make sure the experience itself is one that feels really connected. What uh, challenges have you guys uh, faced getting product market fit with the app? Well, it's uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I think we've been I think we've been fortunate when it comes to product market fit uh, because the practice is five thousand years old. So there's nothing to really reinvent there. Yeah. The teachers that we hired are some of the best in the world. We're fortunate because you know we're a venture backed company. We actually raised another round after the one that you mentioned that I don't think has been announced yet. We raised another two and a half million dollars in February. So you know we've raised over five million dollars now. So that gives us the ability to pay teachers a fair wage, which is nice. We gave our founding teachers equity, so we're able to uh, go and recruit and retain some of the best teachers in the world, and that makes a huge difference. So when you have those two things, the practice and the teachers, it goes a a really long way. And then the third thing, and these are, uh, I I don't know how into Buddhism you are, but the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, like the community the support of, of other people. So even kind of putting journey and product and tech and UX and UI aside, there's some good like bones there to be able to build around. Uh, and then when you say, okay, we should really stand in the background, like let's not try to do too much. Like almost like if you go to a, a, a nice restaurant and like the chef lets like the food itself do the cooking, you know, like right. the freshness of the ingredients and the simplicity of it instead of doctoring it up with too much sauce and this and that. So for us, I feel like even from the start, we were able to have a product that people really resonated with. Like the average paid user uses it over five times a week and spends over 21 minutes a day in the app. So super, super high engagement. So I think when it comes to product market fit, we've been fairly successful so far. Mm. We do have a ton of other challenges, just to be clear. Uh, but, but that one I feel good about. You began self-funded, but as you mentioned, have since you know raised capital. Why take on uh, capital and move forward? Great question. So when I started, I was here in my apartment. Uh, and I said, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, uh, but I'm willing to put some money to work to see what happens. Uh, so I put in, I think it was one hundred and fifty dollars or $160,000. This is in March of 2015. And that allowed us to get up and running, to do some things. And then when I saw, hey, there's a real thing here, let me raise some money. So I went to friends and family and a few others and was able to raise a small friends and family round to be able to go and hire some people and do some things and expand to other cities. And then when I said, you know, there's actually a real opportunity to build something big. And when you take on venture money, I have a piece written that's something to the effect of like, fundraising sucks, helpful guide for surviving and thriving during the process. I think it never came out because I think right in fit, we didn't want to put it out when I was fundraising. We wanted to wait till it was done. And then COVID hit and it just felt tone deaf. And yeah. obviously COVID's you know, <laughs> kind of continuing. But I wrote it with the, the idea of if I was a first-time entrepreneur, what would I want to know or a first-time fundraiser? You know, taking on venture money is, is a real thing. It's, it's, it's very different than taking money from friends or even borrowing from a bank. And and those those are actually worth exploring fully also. But I think nowadays venture is, I don't know if it's cool and sexy, but a lot of companies want to raise venture money and that might not always be the right thing. And so I was very clear. I went in eyes wide open, understanding how the risk profile changes and what it means both personally and professionally. 
So I, I was very clear about, about that, but I thought there was a, a sizable opportunity that made it worthwhile. Mm. Well, what's some of the, the other advice that you might give to first-time founders? In general or about fundraising? Uh, in general. Well, I think, I think it's important to do something that you're passionate about. I think most founders know that, but um, sometimes you can overlook that in the, in the face of a business opportunity. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to make a short-term sacrifice and run, and run this business for you know, a year or two years and understand that I'm putting uh, my personal, you know, kind of personal happiness aside to, to build something. That, that's, a, that's a decision as long as you go into that again, eyes wide open. So I think doing something you're passionate about uh, really makes a big difference because you end up working way more than you think. You know, I think the the double-edged sword, you know, one thing that people who are not entrepreneurs will often say is like, oh, you run your own business so you can work whenever you want, as if that's a good thing. And the challenge, as we all know, is like, that's a good thing, but that's also a bad thing because come Saturday morning, you're like, "Mm, I probably should do this, or maybe I want to do this, or I have to do this. And so the lines blur uh, really, really quickly between personal and professional. And in fact, so much so that I don't really like this idea of work-life balance. I really like this idea of work-life harmony or work-life integration, where you think about it as as one thing. You know, even something like this, like, does this work? I mean, I don't know. We're talking about life. We're just kind of, you know, hanging out. Like, I guess technically it's work. But anyway, so I think for first-time founders, if you could do something you're passionate about, that that goes a long way. I think the the best advice that I... Well, the advice that I take to heart often is know thyself. And I think that that's really simple but powerful because without doing that, you can often, and and I still do it now, even 41 years old and having a meditation practice for a long time, it can lead you down some particular path that you might not want to be down. And so being able to take time and have space and energy to just reflect, to think, is this the right business? Am I making the right decisions? Do I have the right people around me? And, you know, the many, many other questions that go with running a business, I think, you know, I, I think having a practice that could help you, a self-reflection practice is really uh, beneficial. In fact, I, I'd say it's, it's almost kind of necessary. Yeah, I think uh, one of the benefits of COVID right now is the time that we're allotted to self-reflect. It's kind of forced us into slowing down a little bit. Obviously, meditation has helped you quite immensely in self-reflecting, but what other practices would you say would be helpful for someone to go through to do that? I think guided journaling is a great one. There's all different ways to do that. You could do that with an app. You can do that without any cues. You can just sit and write, you know, for 10 minutes for the, for the first, you know, 10 minutes of the day. I found journaling to be very, very helpful for me personally. Therapy has been game changing. Uh, I actually wasn't looking for a therapist. I was looking for a coach and a buddy of mine said, oh, you should talk to this guy. And then fast forward like a few weeks, I hadn't talked to him, but, but I, had, I had hired a coach. And so my buddy checked in. I was like, oh, you talked to his name's Ben. So I go, you talked to Ben? And I was like, nah, I ended up hiring this other coach. And he's like, dude, go see him. Trust me. And I went and I met with him and I was like, hmm. And pretty quickly, it was, it was game changing for me. Having the space, we meet every other week. I think if... I didn't have so many other things like I'm in a CEO group and I have a meditation teacher and I, I would do it every week, which we do sometimes. Like sometimes we'll leave a really juicy topic. Like the other day we were exploring middle school mm. I hadn't thought about middle school in, I don't want to say since middle school, but in a long time, decade at least. 
And so I was like, wow, there's something really interesting there to unlock. Cause those are some pretty formative years. You know, I guess you're what 13, 14, 15, something like that. So then we said, oh, okay, we don't, I don't want to wait two weeks on this. Let's do, let's do next week. So we do that occasionally, but I think therapy is so powerful. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that as someone who works in the mental health space, uh, I hadn't participated in it sooner. Yeah, I think it uh, goes back to finding those people that, you know, can help support you and building sort of that in modern day today, we have to build that tribe for ourselves. So if that's a meditation group that you're part of, if that's a therapist that you see, you kind of have to seek those people out. Yeah, absolutely. How did you explain meditation? Obviously, it's become more widely accepted, but how did you start explaining meditation as from an investment standpoint, as you were like pitching and trying to tell them that, you know, this is going to be a large industry? When I was meeting with my friends, some percentage of them thought I was just crazy. They're like, this is ridiculous. Some percentage said, oh, wow, I see what you see, right? I could see this being the next thing, right? Like exercise, we take it for granted now, but it wasn't always like people always jogged and people always exercised. That was something that was a learned behavior. So some people saw that and a lot of people, and, and I'm talking about you know the, the friends and family round of investors, a lot of people are like, we believe in you. We know how hard you work. We know that you must see something. So even if we don't necessarily know what's happening with meditation or mental health, we think that you'll be able to figure it out. So that was those first conversations. Then fast forward, let's see, we started in March, 2015. I raised that round in January, 2016. So we had like nine months. And then I didn't raise the venture round for two more years until 2018. So at that point, it was a, it was a real business. Now, granted, we raised on a different premise, right? We raised on, hey, we've learned all these things about group and live. And now we're, and, and that was in real life. And now we're going to digitize it. Now we're going to build an app and be the first app. So there was something interesting there. There were enough proof points around us as a team, me as an entrepreneur to say, okay, there's, there's something here. And we were fortunate because the market had started to come along. So Calm had raised a bunch of money. Headspace had raised a bunch of money. Uh, you started to see meditation popping up at companies, at, you know, Davos, you started, I don't know if you hear the police cars over here, you know, places like the army getting trained in meditation or NBA teams. So it started to be something where people were seeing it. So that made it a little bit easier. And then fast forward now that we raised this round, the company's been around for five years. We've proved out a lot of things. Calm is worth a billion dollars. You're seeing other mental wellness products coming out. And so people are realizing, wow, this is, this is going to be a massive category. You know, journey, journey looks like it could be a decent uh, investment in space. So it, it evolved over the five years and timing is everything, right? Like yeah. it must be really hard now to and raise a seed round as a new meditation product because the space to your point is so crowded. Also, if you had tried to raise 10 years ago, it probably would have been really hard. I don't actually know Headspace's story around uh, fundraising, uh, meaning back, back then, but I would imagine it would have been pretty challenging to raise when people weren't thinking about meditation. It was just considered a thing for you know monks and hippies. Yeah, it seems like you had the in the play, right place at the right time. You know, you had come from standing on the shoulders of giants, but also are early enough to see that you're going to be going off in a good direction. Yep, exactly. Meditation, as you mentioned, you know, has been used for thousands of years. What other ancient traditions do you think could serve our modern culture now? Well, you know, community is is one of those things that gets thrown around a lot. Like, 
you see it at all different in, you know, advertising everywhere and stuff like that. That's less a practice and more something that I think people need to, to really be conscious of and embrace. You know, it's very easy to spend time alone and then it's a slippery slope. Next thing you know, you're spending more and more time alone. And I think having that group of people, it doesn't have to be a men's group. It could be a bunch of people that you go bowling with or you go dance with or a book club. But I think having other human beings that you're having conversations with, that care about you, that you care about, I think that's really important. Um, there are other practices that are definitely misunderstood. So I think hypnosis or hypnotherapy is one that, you know, we grew up, the guy, you know, follow the, the, the clock kind of thing and then, you know, bark like a dog and all that stuff. But like, Hypnosis is now something where you're seeing studies come out and you're seeing people talk about it more the same way you saw that about six, eight, ten years ago with meditation. So I, I do think there's a bunch of other practices that are very good for us as human beings, but we've been we've learned that they're weird or they're they're goofy and so we've shied away from them. Whereas if we can be a little bit more open minded, some of those might actually be really helpful for us. Yeah, I mean with depression and anxiety and you know overall poor mental health becoming more prevalent, how do you see meditation and some of these other wellness practices playing a role in society moving forward? Well, I think it's you know, I think it's so important for people to be able to respond as opposed to react. And we have so much coming out of us in a way that our ancestors didn't, right? We get push notifications on phones. There's just a bombardment of information. And being able to work with the brain more skillfully to be able to process all of that and then respond from a place of thoughtfulness and compassion can make a huge difference. So I think, you know, you're already seeing it. You're seeing, like, we have a partnership with UMass you know, we're their official mindfulness provider. I was talking to uh, a gentleman at the Department of Education here in New York who's, I don't know his exact title, but he's basically in charge of mindfulness at the DOE here. And as a New York City school system product, I went to all public schools. You know, I wish I had these practices back when I was 5, 10, 15, 20, because you can teach these kids, you know, practices like this that will change their life. And so you're seeing it in school systems, police forces, universities, organizations, et cetera. And, and, you know, as we continue, as technology continues to advance, the idea of having information in our brains versus at our fingertips, like when I was going to school, we had to learn a lot about the dinosaurs and a lot about the solar system and things like that, which is great, but probably not so useful in terms of how I navigate my days. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't learn that stuff. What I'm saying is we should also learn things like meditation uh, and things around happiness and building good habits and a whole host of tools that could help us navigate the world more skillfully. Yeah, I think uh, there's a, a set of meta skills basically to learn that help you kind of learn other things. So, you know, thinking about the dinosaurs, well, we can, you know, go look that up on a computer or look in a book or something, but having the meta skill to realize that's the information you need to go seek out, I think is something more we need to focus on. Yeah, well, well said. Has there been any particular instances or stories that uh, meditation has helped you on your journey as a founder? Well, I'll just say the, the decision to fundraise. You know, it's very easy to rush into decisions or to say, no, I'm not doing that, or to say, yes, I'm doing this. But I needed to get really still. I needed to get really quiet to decide whether going the venture route made sense because it changes 
everything. It changes the entire uh, way the company operates. And so for me, instead of just saying, oh, everyone's raising venture money, oh, that's a path to quick money, you know, really sitting and understanding what does it mean for me? What does it mean for the company? What does it mean? Like at 41 now, I'd like to get married at some point soon. Mm. I'd like to have a family at some point soon. And so how does running a startup that's venture backed, what is the risk profile there? What are the expectations? How does that align or not align? So I think, I think meditation helped me in, you know, I would say every decision that I've, that I've made, but that, that's a, I think a good example of a, of a very specific one. How do you uh, balance the values? So, you know, you mentioned wanting to have a relationship, but also looking at the risk of that, having a, a startup, how do you balance those values and kind of sort through those for yourself? Well, I was very clear with myself that starting the business was a risk for for lots of reasons, but it was a risk I was prepared to take because at the time I was 36 and so certainly not young young but but far from old, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm prepared to to make to take this risk. I didn't I wasn't in a relationship, I didn't have any children. Now fast forward 5 10 years from now, I'm married, I have a bunch of kids. I might not say hey, let's roll the dice again. Now, maybe I will. Who knows what, what the situation is or what the opportunity is. But for me, that was, that was pretty clear. The challenge has been, how do I balance the two of finding the time and space for me, me personally, for dating, for relationship building, and building the business? Because especially when it comes to the business, as we talked about, it can be all-consuming very quickly. It can be 24-7. You know? So how do I carve out time to... to actually shut down the computer sometimes to actually take a day off to be able to reflect or spend time with, you know, whomever. So it's a, it was challenging. I have to say, I have a a partner, I have a girlfriend who's amazing, incredibly supportive and my best friend. So it's, it's actually like, she allows me to work as much as I want. And while I want to work a lot, I also love spending time with her. And so I'm able to find a nice, a nice balance. And we also have some rituals like, you know, in the morning we spend time together. Mm. Uh, then we'll cook dinner together on the weekend. So there's a whole host of things that we do where that time is our time. And I think the more you can build in things like that, and not not just around relationships, but around exercise or diet or meditation, the easier it is for those things not to be sort of ad hoc decisions, but to be deeply integrated into your life. Yeah, I think rituals is super important. My wife and I do that as well, having like mornings together and that is solely our time together. And we also have Sundays where, you know, there's no work, nothing. And I have my own meditation practice to help calm my mind down from thinking about all the other stuff so I can be 100% focused with her during those moments. Yep. I also seen that about 12 years ago, you'd written down something called the recipe for an amazing life and listed things that make you happy and read it every so often. What is on that uh, recipe for you? I can read it to you if you want. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot on it. It's I probably need to trim it. I, I I read it, I'd say every two to three days. Now, granted, it's been around for a long time, so I don't need to read it every day to keep it top of mind. Fortunately, some of that is 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 in me. But like, there's two sections, things to do and things to remember. So things to do start with things like uh, eat healthy, uh, get a good night's sleep, meditate and exercise every day. So that's, that's one. Or it could be spend time with people you love and care about. On the things to remember, it's like, this is the best moment of your life. This is mm. the best day of your life. Like, that's a kind of strange thing. It's like, well, is this like, 
Mono Podcast. Is this the absolute best moment in my life? Well, it's this, it's the only moment right now, right? Like, so like really deeply understanding that and, and digesting that. Um, and then there's a whole host of other things, you know, a lot of them are things that I, that I struggle with. Like, for example, don't judge, just accept and love people, including yourself for who they are. Right. So like I judge myself, I'm hard on myself. And then I, of course, take that out on my girlfriend or my mom or, you know, colleagues. So, uh, a lot of the things on there are sort of uh, stretch goals, but I feel like the more I keep them top of mind, the better. And this this list changes. It's a it's a living, breathing document. So I'll read it, and every once in a while, I'll see I'll see something, and I'll say that just doesn't resonate with me anymore. Uh, or I'll change the wording of something. The idea will still be there, but I'll say that's not how I would express it now. So that that's also helpful for me as I. How would you recommend somebody writing their own list um, and trying to filter between what they actually care about and maybe what other people are telling them that they should care about that ends up getting written down? Yeah. So I think there's two questions there. So I think the first one, how to how to start. I, I, I don't know if there's like a, a particular way to do it other than take a clean piece of paper and just start writing what feels true for you, you know, and it could be like, don't do evil, right. Or whatever Google used to say, yeah. or it could be, you know, be, be kinder to your mom or your dad, or, you know, like what are the things that are important to you? It doesn't have to be too philosophical or, or too, you know, pie in the sky. It could be like get eight hours of sleep a day. That's pretty good. And then in terms of what, what's true for you versus what you've heard is true, that, that's really only a thing you know, that you can answer. And, and I think like we talked about, all these practices that help you know yourself better allow you to say like, okay, is that actually so? Like, do I want to have kids? Is that I want to have kids because that's what I've always, excuse me, known or society's told me that? Or is that something I actually want? So it's, it's really just looking, looking inward. Mm. Well, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you and journey? Well, journey, we journey live. The, the app is available in the app store. It's iOS only for now, but we'll be launching Android at some point. I want to say some point soon. The website is journeymeditation.com. The Instagram is journey meditation. I think I'm like not really very good on social media. So I know I have LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure it's my name, Stephen Sekoler. I have an Instagram that I'm never on, but that's also my name. Although there is a social media manager who will post things occasionally, like they'll probably post this thing once it, once it comes out. I'm also available over email. So if anyone has a personal question, it's Stephen at journeymeditation.com. Uh, always happy to chat about this or, or riff on other things. Awesome. Well, my last question is how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I want to say we didn't really t- talk much about everything happening in the world nowadays, but I think it's pretty uh, incredible what's happening. I mean, long overdue, but the fact that there's all of these people, and I'll be more specific, there's all these white people who are waking up and saying, you know, the way we've been treating black people and people of color, but specifically black people in this country is really fucked up. Mm. And, you know, people are saying they're not only like realizing it, but they're taking action, right? I I mentioned the Confederate flag, like NASCAR today, taking down the Confederate flag or the band Lady Antebellum changing their name today. And these, these are just small things, right? There's so many other things, right? We have this whole movement around defund the police. And that obviously means different things to different people. And 
you know, far, far longer conversation than we, we probably have time for. But I think it's, it's incredible that people are now evolving themselves and their views right before our eyes and are taking action. It's really, really beautiful to see. So I think, I think, you know, the more we are, and I'll, I'll go back to, you know, kind of tried and true things, the more we know ourselves, the better, right? Like I, I, I mentioned this kind of in passing, but for me, part of the thing that made meditation so helpful was I looked at a lot of the things that I did in the past and I was like, oh, that was really messed up. Mm. Like, and some of those are small and some of those are large, but it was like, I wasn't aware of it because I was so just in my own head moving through the world without taking any time to like zoom out. And so, you know, I think that's part of it is, you know, knowing yourself. And then the other thing is being in community. Like it's hard to be in community, meaning to have friends who are not like you and not realize these things, right? Like for me, this was not, you know, seeing the death of another young unarmed black man at the hands of the police was not a new story, right? Because of the fact that I'm in community with other people who don't look like me and have had a different world experience and can share, hey, I've been racial, racially profiled since I was five. Hey, here's the way, and, and not their responsibility to educate me, when you're in community, you start to be able to see yourself in others, right? right? And so I would say when it comes to, to people evolving, I think that those two things, being in community and taking the time to do those self-care practices that give you the space to see things more clearly, I think that would go a really long way. And in fact, one last thing, a journey, we talked about this big, hairy, audacious goal, this 10 to 30 year mission. And ours, back when we started and remains, is by 2030 for everyone in the world to meditate. So of course that doesn't mean every single person meditating, but if in 10 years from now, everyone had some type of self-care or reflect reflection practice, I think we'd have a much different society. Yeah, at the, I mean, at the core thesis of the show is any big impact that you wanna make, it first starts with yourself as the individual and changing yourself, evolving yourself so that you can go out, you can make an impact, be a part of those communities starting from that place. Well, thank you, Stephen, for coming on today, for sharing everything about Journey and all of your thoughts. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. As you know, word of mouth is the number one way for things to grow. Evolve is not just a podcast, but a movement. And to help this movement grow, I would appreciate so much if you were to show this podcast episode with a friend, with another entrepreneur, with an early stage founder who needs inspiration and the tools and tactics to make an impact on this world. So please share this episode. And until next time, my friend, keep evolving.